The information discussed on this show is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general informational purposes only. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week. And we've got a great show for you today. We've got a twofer. We've got two terrific, talented ladies on the show. We've got Joanne DiMaggio back. And she's written a book about this young man who at two days old was read by the famous 20th century psychic Edgar Cayce. And Cayce said that he had the possibility of becoming a more important contributor to mankind than Thomas Jefferson was to the United States. That's a lot of pressure to put on a two-year-old. And the story didn't turn out exactly that way. And it gets into free will and the decisions we make and the decisions that people make for us. And I think it's really interesting reading. It's a good conversation from Joanne. Once again, she does a lot of interesting stuff. We've also got a member of what I would consider Young Hollywood in Victoria Gordon's joining us. And she's super talented. She's a cabaret singer. But she's also a creator, uh, director, writer, actor, producer, and she's just amazing. She's got a series called uh, Pilot Season, which is five different shows that are launching through Twitch, an online platform. And it just goes to show you that there's a lot of content streams and platforms out there to get your work out there and hopefully be seen. And Victoria's doing it, and she's doing it well, and she didn't let the lockdown kind of get in her way, and she's making it happen. And I predict great things for her, and she was super nice also. So I I think you're really going to enjoy that conversation too. So what else is happening? Well, we're rounding the turn towards April now and the weather's getting better. We're going to have baseball soon. We've got March Madness. Uh, People seem a little cheerier. Uh, People are getting their vaccines, etc. It seems like we're, I'm not going to say we're completely out of the woods, but at least we're heading in the right direction. It doesn't seem as panicky as it did a few months ago. And things have settled down a bit. And hopefully, if everybody keeps working together, respects themselves, I really, I'm really proud of the fact that I go out. I see most of the people still wearing masks, which is great. When they, you know, you don't have to when you're walking around the street, but people are doing it, and that's great. I think that's important. So keep it up, and we'll get there. It's taking time. It's going to take a little more time, but hang in there, and we'll get there. So I want to talk to you a little bit about one of those healthy habits that I've been mentioning. I mentioned about ten or twelve of them all at once a couple of weeks ago, and I've gotten into individual protocols that I've either added or enhanced during this shutdown of the past year, and it's really helped me out. So I thought I'd share them with you, and maybe you'll consider them. It's up to you. You do what works for you, and I do the same, but these are the things that have worked for me. So today I'm going to talk about dowsing. What is dowsing? Well, you ever see those pendulums, like a little crystal or something? It's on a a chain, and somebody holds it up between their uh, thumb and forefinger, and it either goes back and forth, forward and back, or side to side, or it goes in a circle clockwise or counterclockwise. 
and you use it to uh, set intentions and also to get some answers. And some people, you have to be open to what if, can this work? Is it working? And once you start opening up to it and start using it, I've gotten a, a lot of, uh, I feel very good about my progress with it. I had a guest on the show, Raymond Grace, about five months ago, and I had bought a pendulum a long time ago, and I just had it sitting around. It's been on my windowsill catching the sunlight, and I really hadn't been using it. And then when I had Raymond on the show, he's a big dowser and brilliant guy, I decided I would start working with it on a daily basis. So every morning after I do a couple of other healthy protocols, if you will, I take out my pendulum and I, uh, I start it up and I ask for a yes and then I ask for a no and I ask for it's working with, if it's working with my higher self and divine God's white light and if I get the response of yes, affirmative, then I start releasing. I use, I use it for intention. So if it goes to the counterclockwise, I'll say, I want to release. And I release negativity, negative emotions, inflammation in my body, all kinds of bad stuff. And I do that for a bit, and I put a big intention into that, and then I put my palm underneath it, and it stops. And then I go start going, and it goes the other way, because I bring in positive energy, divine God's white light, and I bring in healing and uh, love, etc. And I do that for a few minutes also. And then if I have a question about something, I phrase it like this. What would be the result of, if I move to Encinitas, what would be the result of my working with a certain individual? And if it goes clockwise, the way it's told me it works is clockwise is good, counterclockwise is negative. And I just ask a question every so often, and it's been pretty accurate. And this is something that's not for everybody, people, but it works for me, and I like it, so I do it. And you can pick up a pendulum for almost nothing on Amazon. They have them, and or wherever you go, if you go to a New Age store, you can pick one up. And then you can just Google how to use a pendulum and dowsing. There's plenty of resources on the internet, and also Raymond Grace is a pretty good resource also. But anyhow, that's my healthy habit of the week. So it's time to get into our, the interview portion of our show. So let's get it on right now. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Got a special return guest to Guy's Guy's Radio. Her name is Joanne DiMaggio. She calls herself a reporter for the universe. Uh, she's a soul writer, a hypnotist, like myself, a past life regressionist. She's written five books, Soul Writing, Your Soul Remembers, Accessing Your Past Lives, Karma Can Be a Real Pain, and the latest book we're going to talk about today is called Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. It's quite a mouthful, but it's a really interesting concept. So welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. Joanne, so nice to see you again. Oh, same here, Robert. Thanks for asking me back. My pleasure. So past lives, they don't always ascend, do they? I mean, can you go, I mean, you're a past life regressionist, and I'm also a hypnotist. I've been in past life regressions. I've given them not as much, nearly as much as you, of course, but my understanding is that you can a past life and a future life, if you will, when you incarnate, you could go back actually to an earlier time. You could go forward. Do you always ascend? Just give us kind of a broad stroke on what the whole meaning and significance is of past life and past life regressions and how it relates to current lives. 
Well, they don't go chronologically in terms of, you know, you've had a really great life before this one and their next one is going to be even better and the one after that even better. No, it doesn't work that way. You've chosen to work out whatever karmic issues you brought in with you in this life. So in my previous book, I talked about the afterlife planning session. So we do a regression. We find out which lifetime is most impacting you today because you can't possibly work on all of them, right? So we find out which one's impacting you today. What are the issues from that life that you decided that this life was absolutely perfect to work on those issues? Then you bring them in and you work through those. So you might have a very lofty life, or and you might even have one where there's just nothing but happiness and prosperity and peacefulness and love. And then the next life, you get hit with the whammy <laughs> and, you know, you're dealing with some pretty serious challenges. But that's because of the karmic choices that you made. So uh, in the end, it's all the same. It all kind of adds to your soul's growth so that, you know, you, you have the end result being the same. But how we get there for each of us is different. And relative to this book about this young man who was considered to be Thomas Jefferson reborn, and at least that's what the famed Edgar Casey said about him when he came into this world, and then he kind of got off track. I guess the question is, if there is a divine plan for all of us, or in just a general divine will and divine plan, how much free will do we actually have? We have an enormous amount of free will. In the case that I point out in the book, what Mr. Casey saw in him when he was two days old, that's when he gave him that reading was that he could do for the world what Jefferson did for this country. And that's pretty heavy to lay on a two-day-old baby, right? But Casey, when he was doing the read, he said, provided this happens. In other words, provided he gets this kind of education, provided he's raised this way. So what happened is his parents made decisions for him because he was a child. Because, But Casey, when he was doing the read, he said, provided this happens. In other words, provided he gets this kind of education, provided he's raised this way. So what happened is his parents made decisions for him because he was a child, because Casey died when TJ was only eight and a half. Those decisions put him on a totally different trajectory than what Casey had foreseen for him. So that's where the free will comes in, you know, and, and even for him later on as an adult, at any given time, he could have you know, gone back to that reading that Casey gave and had that, he had that foundation because Casey taught him from the time he was very little about reincarnation and about the creation story and about karma and how to read auras. He had that foundation, but he just chose not to do anything about it. And so, you know, his life did not turn out the way that, um, that it could have turned out had everything been followed the way Casey had laid it out for him. Is he still alive? He is. He lives here in Charlottesville. Oh, okay. Uh, how's, he, uh, how's he doing? He's doing well. He's doing well. He lives a very private life. He's somewhat of a recluse, lives alone up on this mountain, doesn't have internet service, so he's back in the old days. But I talk to him quite often, and uh, you know, he's very grateful that this book came out because, it, in a way, I mean, I had written it to... I felt that he had been maligned and I wanted the world to know what the true story was. That's me being my re reporter for the universe. I saw a good story there. 
How how old was he? And his name is uh, Thomas Jefferson Davis. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. How old was he when he found out that um, Edgar Casey had predicted this incredible future for him? Because it must have put uh, an incredible amount of pressure on him. Well, it was in that that reading he got when he was two days old, oh. and his and his aunt Gladys Davis, who was Casey's uh, secretary all those years, and uh, you know she was close close part of the Casey family. She TJ said she used to read that life reading to him every night, like a, a good night story, like a storybook. So he had that embedded in him from the time he could understand, you know, so from day one. Now, Mr. Casey said to him, he told the family, I'll give him a second reading when he's 13 years old. And that will clarify what his journey is going to be, what his role is going to be. Unfortunately, Mr. Casey died before TJ reached the age of 13 and he never got that second reading. And he does say he feels he regrets that greatly. He really felt that that was going to help him along and he just this didn't happen. Is it possible? I'm not, I'm not trying to play word games that TJ Davis's Davis was destined not to transcend Thomas Jefferson and fulfill that. Well, you know what, Robert, I believe that I believe we've misinterpreted that reading. I think that what Mr. Casey was trying to say didn't have anything to do with Thomas Jefferson. I think what he was trying to say is that the the knowledge that he was pouring into that little boy, when they would sit out on the pier from the time he was two years, TJ was two years old, they would go out on the pier and they would fish together. And while they're out on the pier, that was his classroom. That's where Mr. Casey taught him everything. He's pouring all this wisdom in this baby, in this little boy, right? I think it was the that he would change the world by sharing with other people the now the, what Casey knew. Okay, so what was in the readings? Because TJ has said to me on numerous occasions, he said, Joanne, the answers for all the questions that humanity has are in those readings. If only people knew that and would take the time to go there and, and, and study them. So I think what he meant was that he could do for the world what Jefferson did for this country, meaning you could you can transcend, you could you could give people a tool that that'll help change their lives. And in changing their lives, you'll change the world. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting now is this book is getting a lot of attention uh, overseas. So I told TJ already, he's got a big following in Japan. <laughs> I told him, I said, see, we're already going global with this. So maybe you'll That's still, awesome. you're 84, but maybe you'll still fulfill that, that prophecy. For those of our listeners and uh, viewers who are not familiar with Edgar Casey, could you give us a little snapshot as to who he was and why he was such an important figure in the 20th century? Edgar Casey was considered the most renowned psychic of the 20th century. He was also considered the father of holistic medicine. In his lifetime, he gave 14,000 readings. So what would happen was people would either come in person or they'd send them a letter, they'd ask him a question, he would go into trance, then he would either go to their Akashic record to look up if it's a past, if it's an information about them, or he would go to source and he would ask the question, get the answer and bring it back down. Uh, and he did this, like I said, 14th of the 14,000 readings, got to remember that 12,000 of those were health readings, people that came to him for chronic illness, he would give them the remedy. Uh, and then 2,000 of those were life readings, and that's where the past life information came through. Um, uh, 
we are still catching up to him as far as the health readings are concerned and the remedies. He was so far ahead of his time. He founded the Association for Research and Enlightenment, and he also founded Atlantic University, both of which are in Virginia Beach. So, um, you know, it, uh, I don't know exactly how many members they have at this point, but they're still going strong. And you could look up the readings if you're a member. They're online at your KC.org. Uh, and I don't think anybody, to be honest with you, since Casey died, is uh, has been of his caliber. I don't think anybody has been at that level. So he was a real treasure to those who knew him and who had the fortune of having a reading from him. I know a lot of his teaching because I read a book about him a long time ago when I was a teenager, actually, and I was, and then I read a second one. And it was about some of his specific health and diet tips diet and wellness. And I kept that book for a really long time. And I remember he said, you know, if you're going to eat apples, make sure they're baked. And I'm, I guess my question is, were his health tips, if you will, and wellness tips uh, individualized or were they for people in general or both? I would say both. They were individualized for that person. You know, many times he would recommend glycothymoline to people. Uh, and TJ said that he has taken glycothymoline every single day since he was little and has never really gotten sick. He hasn't been ill his, in his entire life, really. I mean, he had some illnesses when he was a child that Mr. Casey took care of. So, um, so for me now, I, I read this and it, the, the, you know, I'll, I get the glycothymoline. I get it from the company that originally made it. It's, been around over a hundred years. And uh, if I start to get a sore throat, I'll gargle. With it. It's basically a mouthwash, but I'll gargle with it and it's instantly gone. It's, an, it's just amazing. But he has remedies for almost every possible physical condition you could think of. Um, and people's like, you know, to use the castor oil packs uh, and some of the other remedies that he recommended, they're still doing those. I mean, you could, you could, buy the products that are based on the original recipes uh, and use them for, for various uh, uh, problems that you have, physical problems. So, and they do them over at the Airy Health Spa in Virginia Beach. So, you know, yes, they were specific. And yes, they, all of us can benefit from them. So in the book, basically this young boy, uh, Thomas Jefferson Davis, he, his uncle was Edgar Casey. So that's the connection. No, so, his aunt was. Okay, what was the connection to Edgar Casey? He was not biologically related to Casey. His aunt was Gladys Davis. His father was Gladys's brother, Boyd. What was the Casey connection then? Because Gladys was Casey's secretary. Okay, okay. So they had a connection there, and Casey did the reading. And then going forward... Davis's family made some decisions that impacted the trajectory of his education, namely when he was going to choose a high school. They they were thinking of a Rudolf Steiner school, which Casey was in favor of, and then they ended up sending him someplace else. And then he seemed to kind of get off course at that point. Is is that accurate? Exactly. You know, you you, you look back on your life and you can see where the train left the track, right? In any given mm-hmm. decision. And that was it for him. Mr. Casey was adamant that he go to the high mowing school in New Hampshire. The founder of that school, uh, her name is Beulah Emmett. She, um, her, in her past life, she was with Aristotle. She was assisting Aristotle. Aristotle was Alexander's, Alexander the Great's teacher. So since TJ had also been Alexander, 
Casey felt that he, if he reconnected with Mrs. Emmett, that he would, they could just kind of continue where they left off, you know, when, when she was helping to teach him when he was Alexander. So it was the perfect setting for him so that he could do the work ahead of him. And he was already set to go. He wasn't, didn't, they weren't even going to wait till high school. They were going to send him off when he was much younger. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Emmett said, sent for him and said, I, I can take him now. And so he had his little bag packed. He had the uh, Gladys had their train tickets. They're ready to get on the train to go out there. And at the last minute, TJ's mother changed her mind and pulled him off. Said no. Okay. I guess the relationship I was looking for with Casey with TJ was they were part of the same soul family. Is exactly. that accurate? Yes. Okay. So the soul family, uh, from my understanding, is before we incarnate, there's a group of individuals or entities or whatever, and they're, they're a separate family than our physical family here on Earth in this specific incarnation. And so they were connected. I found, what is that correct? And what else do we need to know about your soul family? Well, the soul family, we travel together as a pod, all of us. So everybody in your life has been with you before, most of the people, that is. And but we 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 go from lifetime to lifetime to lifetime together. We travel together. We decide in that pre-life planning session. You know, you you work with your soul family. You go, hey, I'm going to come in, and this is what I'm going to work on. They're going, all right, fine. We're going to come in with you, and we'll work with you. Then they decide what role they're going to play. So we change genders. We change roles. And so your father in this life could have been your sister in a previous life. Uh, but the soul is the same. So we come together, we come to help each other out. So that may mean presenting challenges to someone or being supportive and loving. So, but it's the same group of souls over and over again. And so TJ knew that he had been in this group with Casey going way, way back. They were together in, in Atlantis and in ancient Egypt. Um, you know, he just he just remembered being with this group and he wanted to come back again in that same family so he orchestrated it so that he could come in through gladys's brother boyd and his wife okay guys guys radio my special guest is joanne dimaggio we're speaking about edgar casey and the unfulfilled destiny of thomas jefferson reborn her new book and it's really fascinating so with the soul family could you uh let's say my wife and i were part of a soul family well she's here in my life and i'm here in her life is that is there synchronicity in that, or am I supposed to have a different role in a different life of hers to fulfill a certain other destiny? How does that all work together? It seems like there's a lot of moving parts, yeah. and I guess you really have to collapse time. I and mean, we see time linear, and really time is not that way. Yeah, how does, well, that like, all, how does it all work? You know, you're working on your issues. She's working on her issues, but your paths have crossed. So that together you can work on some joint issues or she can Got assist it. you in working on what you're working on. And because you're in her life, you are assisting her in working on issues in her life. So it's actually quite beautifully orchestrated. How about with TJ? Now, he, uh, as you mentioned, and for our listeners who haven't read the book yet, they're like, wow, he was Alexander the Great. He was a uh, meaningful person in the Atlantean culture way back when. A lot of people think who are not that familiar with past life regression think like, oh, I used to be Cleopatra or I was Elvis Presley. This seems like this individual uh, had some significant characters as part of his past life regression. Yeah, that's not usual. That's very rare, by the way. And the, the thing about Edgar Cayce is that you have to realize that people that souls that were drawn to him when he was alive naturally 
they they could have all they could have had these famous past lives. Um, TJ does not ever claim to be Thomas Jefferson or Alexander. He he acknowledges that that information was given to him. When I work with people who believe that they were somebody famous, you know, we'll kind of work through it a little bit to see what's the basis of their belief that they right. were, you right. know, because some of them it's very flimsy. The, the, the reason, you know, I had a woman who said she was uh, Patrick Henry. And I said, why do you think you're Patrick Henry? And she said, because he was a good talker. And so am I. Okay, there, there you go. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more to it than that. And most people who are famous, by the way, are very, very humble uh, in, in the current life. They don't go around bragging. If they're bragging, then you might want to step back. And Living in Charlottesville, I have to tell you, there are multiple Thomas Jeffersons here. And I've heard from some of them who are not happy with me because of this book. So uh, it sort of takes it away from them, you know. But uh, but yeah, so uh, as a therapist, you know, you, you kind of work through that. And, and, you know, I'll say if you think you're if you think you're Napoleon, are you are you looking out at the crowd from atop the horse through your through Napoleon's eyes or are you in the crowd looking up at Napoleon? Because famous people had so many other people that were drawn to them or saw them. And then for some reason, they, they want to take on that persona. So it's a lot more complicated than he's a good talker. And so am I. Well, the first, it's a very interesting book because the first half of the book is a lot about TJ's life. And it's kind of in tragic in some ways. In other ways, it's not. But then the second half is about some of his experiences with Edgar Casey and some of the really interesting characters who came around the house of Edgar Casey's house who were supposedly uh, connected to disciples of Jesus and et cetera, et cetera. And they'd levitate people. And he, it was just wild times. But the one thing that keeps cropping up along the way is the term Akashic Records and Casey's ability to tap into those. Could you tell us a little bit about Akashic Records, why they're so important, and can individuals like our listeners, what can we do to tap into those? Is it possible or do we have to go through a therapist? No, absolutely not. You can do it yourself. The Akashic Records are the equivalent of like the universe's supercomputer, if you want to call it that. Uh, or I like to think of it as a library in the sky. All of our, every single soul's uh, journey from beginning of creation until now is recorded. Every thought, every word, every deed is recorded in the Akashic records. Um, now there, there are people who uh, are Akashic record readers that you go to and they can pull your book, but you can do it yourself. Actually, if you go, just go into, I, I do it. I offer a, a meditation to help people go go to it to pull your own record uh, and read it. So, you know, I I said to one Akashic reader, I said, "Well, pull my record from 1773 and read it to me, just to see if he was legitimate." Because I knew what that lifetime was, but but every lifetime you've ever had is is recorded. Every and and not only what you've done, but what you've thought about doing. So be careful what you're thinking. Uh, and so that that. Casey went to the Akashic Records to look up the person's past life record and tell them about it. So he used that as one of his tools to provide information to people. So it, it, Joanne, is this a good thing for people, for everyday people to do, to check their Akashic Records? Or is there any type of kind of protection uh, that we need to do that? 
Well, I don't think anybody should work with spirit without some sort of form of protection, saying a prayer of protection, surrounding yourself with white light, going into a deep meditative state, and then accessing that information. Uh, you could do it through soul writing, which you know I teach, right. uh, which is a written form of meditation. So just going into that altered state of consciousness and asking for the information and writing, not automatic writing people. It's just, it's totally different. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's very valuable to, to, because you want, then you'll understand a lot of what's going on in the here and now, you know, because you'll, you'll go to the origin of the, of the issue that when it first occurred, and then it, it gives you a different perspective. You can, you'll shift a little bit in your thinking and that's very healing. Okay. Uh, it sounds like uh, we all come back over and over again and we have different lessons to learn until we kind of get it all together. And that's going to take a long time, but it's a learning process. But I guess a lot of the folks out there are probably asking, what about if people come back? What about our pets? That's my last question for you. Uh, yeah, I get asked that a lot. Your, your animal companions do come back, but they come back as animals. They don't come back as, I don't believe in transmigration, either did Edgar Casey. So you know, they'll, they'll come back again in another animal body. You just have to be aware and watch out for them. I mean, when my little dog died, I said to her before she left, I said, now you find me again and I'll be looking for you. And unfortunately I haven't found her, but, but uh, often people say that they'll, they'll get a pet because it reminds them their, their, their behavior is so similar to the previous pet that, that they just feel like that's the same soul coming back to them. Fantastic. Okay, our special guest today on Guys Guys Radio, Joanne DiMaggio. I'm looking at this very cool book here, Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. And I have to say, this is one of Joanne's terrific books. Her other, the other four that I mentioned earlier, Soul Writing, Accessing Your Past Lives, Karma Can Be a Real Pain. There's a lot of information you can get here from Joanne's work. So thank you so much for coming back to Guys Guys Radio. Where can people find out more about you and get your book? They can go on my website, which is joannedimaggio.com, J-O-A-N-N-E-D-I-M-A-G-G-I-O.com. And I have all my books are there, all of my, um, all the different types of regressions I do. If you're interested in a regression, I do them via Zoom. And so uh, you can, you can book one right on my website. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Joanne DiMaggio on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you, Robert. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Your host, Robert Manny here. And I've got somebody special I want to introduce you to. It's a kind of a new area for me on Guy's Guy's Radio. It's what I would call, quote unquote, young Hollywood, in that the new generation, uh, millennials and uh, whatever comes after the millennials, Generation Z, I think, they're going to take over. So we have to really be listening and we have to be respectful. And you can see I'm a boomer. You can see the mess we've gotten you guys into. So uh, hopefully we can talk a little bit about today and also a lot of positive things. So my special guest, her name is Victoria Gordon. She's an actress. She's a singer. She's a creator, and she follows a family in the Hollywood traditions of musicians, storytellers, creators. She's developed her own show. It's called Pilot Season. It's a series of five different shows that are launching across different platforms with different timing. It's very exciting, very interesting. I want to talk about that, having written a novel and also adapted it for TV and also for film. I, I love to hear other writers and their perspectives about navigating the system and also about just tips and writing in, in general because it's so much fun. Victoria is also a cabaret singer. She specializes in show tunes. 
And also she's real, a big fan of genealogy. So who knows, maybe we'll get into that also. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Victoria Gordon. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, let's start at the beginning. You're an actor, a singer, a writer, a director, a producer. Is there anything I left out? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I was talking to my mom, I think yesterday or maybe today, about how people don't always know what to do when you have a big range of things you say you do. My mom's had the same problem her whole life. But what I've learned is it actually gives me more chances to just talk to as many people as I can and say, I can relate to this because I know how to do this. Or I've been in this kind of situation, so I can relate to that. So even though it sounds like a lot, it all kind of interconnects and just gives me more chances to really connect with people. I, t I totally get it. Like when I wrote my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, first of all, people thought it was nonfiction, but it's fiction. I believe in the power of story. And then I started mimicking the main character who writes a column about men for women. So I started doing blogging and then I started doing Guy's Guy's Radio. And now here we are. So it's good. I, I would think you would agree, Victoria, that when you're doing this type of work, you're always drawing on a skill set that you have. So it's not like you're always starting over in separate buckets, that the buckets kind of come together and it's like making a, you're weaving. It's like the ancient art of weaving. Oh yeah. It's all about finding ways. They all kind of intersect. If, I think if I had really disparate things that I was doing, like if I could do finance and like opera, it might be harder to find a way to connect those two. But I happen to be doing things. I've chosen an extreme example. I happen to be doing things that really connect in a lot of ways. And I find ways to connect them where they don't actually connect. Okay, well, we talked a little bit uh, before we got on the air about, you know, COVID and what's going on. So I, I have kind of a two-edged question to you, and that is about New Hollywood. How would you define the New Hollywood and how is this changing with all the new platforms and you're using some of them? And also, is there a post-COVID Hollywood? Because I think we're going to find that post-COVID is going to be like post-9-11 world. Now it's going to be post-COVID world. What is your perceptions of that? And uh, what do you have to say about the entertainment industry and what you're going through? Well, we've all gone through a lot. This has been a tough one for everyone in the industry of all ages. Unfortunately, a huge number of people have lost work completely or have substantially reduced the amount of work they have. So it's really caused a lot of issues just on a basic human level. On an entertainment level, things have started to pick up in a bigger way than I was expecting at this point, frankly, but it's still not allowing for all those people who lost work to really get back into the workforce. I think we are going to see a reduction in the workforce, which is unfortunate. I think some of that will last. But I'm also hopeful that with all the new platforms, we're continuing to give people more channels and opportunities to get their voices and their ideas out there. Of course, the challenge is monetizing that because people still have to eat and keep a shelter over their head. So it's like there is a mixed bag of good and bad that comes with this. At the same time, like I am saying, we do have a lot more channels. So you're seeing a lot more content from a lot more places and a lot more unique material. Like, for example, there is a big TikTok series. It's not a series, but a series of videos that's out on TikTok right now that's extremely popular. the type of like the little court reporter typewriter thing. I mean, it's just, there's interesting stuff and people are learning so much and experiencing so many things that I think there's a lot of potential to work that into entertainment in different ways. Now, looking at the different platforms, you know, traditionally you had, you know, you come up with a show idea. This would be pilot season. We'll get into your pilot season and you, you get to the showrunners if you can through your agent and representatives, or if you have something really good in adaptation or whatever, and then they, they trot it out and you see if you can get a pilot done. Nowadays, uh, as you were saying, there's so much content and there's still a thirst for content because there's so much content consumption. And then there's so many different platforms. How do you, when you're working, determine, and we can start with pilot season, um, how did you determine which platforms to use and for how long? I will tell you that is something that is not always as easy as you would think. 
When the pandemic started, I started with Twitch because Twitch is really a streaming platform meant for live streaming. Twitch has not been perfect. I'm still a big fan, but there have been issues. And people say, well, why didn't you just go to YouTube? Well, YouTube wasn't quite there yet. And besides, I have issues with YouTube too. There's no perfect platform. So for pilot season, since I wasn't doing live or live style, they're definitely pre-taped very clearly. They have lots of transitions and effects that make it clear that they're pre-done. I thought, you know, I'll put them on YouTube. That is like the primary video platform out there. But at the same time, there is, it's a choice that comes with each individual project. I mean, if you're doing mostly music that's like recorded in a studio that sounds good, SoundCloud is probably going to be better than YouTube because what are you going to put in as the video? A bunch of pictures. I mean, I've seen that done, but wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I mean, it's really about finding the right fit for the content. And since there are so many platforms, it can be challenging, but sometimes it's trial and error. It's just saying, okay, this one works. This one doesn't. It's amazing with YouTube. It's a, it's, we started our YouTube channel based off the podcast, and I, I saw which shows were really rating high, and they were about very specific topics. For instance, my highest rated one was about the secret space program, and it's such a niche, and it's like a UFO conspiracy theory type of thing. Yeah. That's something that people look for. And then I did some other research and found that on YouTube, there's 35 million channels and people only watch for about four or five minutes. So you have to be really careful when you use YouTube to make it uh, your content search driven and also to realize that people are just taking very digestible bites with it. Because maybe I think you probably did that because for your series, maybe YouTube wouldn't be the right way to go because people are just looking for a lot of different stuff like how to fix the pipe under your sink and change the battery in the car and a lot of like how-to stuff. Well, that's the thing is that really the way we consume content is very different. When my dad was coming up in the industry, when my grandfather was coming up in the industry, there were three networks. I think my dad might have squeaked in with four. But the point is, there was a very small market and the goal was to appeal to as many people as possible within that you know, sort of grouping of channels. The exact opposite goal now. The goal is to get the most defined small audience and have that small audience be the most ardent followers of whatever it is you're doing. And one of the advantages of my set of pilots in that regard is that they're all pretty different. The audiences don't necessarily overlap. Like I did one this past week that was really geared towards like maybe a 16 to 22 year old female demographic versus like I have one coming up in a couple of weeks that's geared more, be- more towards like a family demographic. Like it just, and you can see that like with your show with the space program, when you get into these really targeted groups, you might have, you know, it might not have the millions upon millions upon millions of viewers that TV audiences think means that something's good, but you have really loyal, stable audience members who want to see more of that kind of content. Yeah, it's amazing. I was, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about doing my own YouTube because the people I work with, I get invited to YouTube shows all the time. And if it's a very, if it's the right topic, the ratings go through the roof. And I'm like, wow, I'm monetizing their, their shows. Maybe I better get into the program the right way because it's really, it's a whole different skill set. And there is a gold rush onto YouTube now. I mean, everybody's getting into it. And I don't think everybody understands how it works. I think you do. How did you, Victoria, and Victoria Gordon's my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, and I'm loving this discussion because I'm getting a fresh perspective, and that's what I really need, and I hope our listeners out there need that also. Why do you pick comedy? Because you have a real, uh, it's really in your heart, from what I could tell. It is, and I think it's genetic. My grandfather was a comedy writer, and he wrote for Jack Benny, and I mean, he started on the radio and then worked into television, and he did 40 straight TV seasons without a break, not just all for Jack Benny, obviously, but. I mean, it was just what he did. And then my dad also sort of followed him. My dad did more variety than comedy, but there was never really like a whole emphasis on drama. And it's only in recent times that I've begun to think, you know, maybe I'd like to explore that too, because comedy was just what my family did. So it was really deeply ingrained in me from childhood. 
Let's talk about pilot season because that's really your your big project right now. So it's five different shows and they're debuting at different times and they're different topics. How do, what's the kind of the concept behind them? How many episodes? How do you determine that? What are the different topics? You kind of touched on it, but give us a little more in-depth, Victoria. Well, so there are five different pilots and each one really takes a different world and a different perspective and a different group of characters on their own journey. So the first one we aired is called Behind the Times and it's about a typical sitcom family living in the present day. So it's a satire of the classic TV sitcom with family and all that. Whereas like two nights ago, we aired Underachievers, the second episode, which is about two teenage girls. And it's really like sort of a, I wouldn't call it edgy. It's like teen edgy. So it's like something you might see on Freeform, for example, which used to be ABC Family when I was a teen girl. And um, we have one coming up that's more of a dramedy. We have one coming up that's like a big dysfunctional rich family comedy. So they all are told from slightly different perspectives and they all follow unique journeys. And I think what's nice about that is that there's something for everyone. If you don't like family sitcoms, because that's just something you're sick of and you don't want to think about ever again, you might love our sort of more intimate dramedy that we're doing. And if you're a teenage girl, you might really get a kick out of underachievers, but you know, some of the other shows might just be not quite your speed because you're too young for them. So I tried to give a little bit of something for everybody, but not all at once. You know, the work I've done is it's very blue sky. And there used to be some blue sky shows in the kind of the rom-com area that I play in. And so there's Sex and the City in my book was called um, like the male Sex and the City. And where where do you see the consumer uh, perspective going in terms of how you deal with men and women nowadays? Are men the bad guys now or it's just they're turning the barrel or is this something? Are we ever going to get like guy buddy shows anymore? Is that over? Because you have to be you can't be two white guys running around New York and advertising. No, no, no. Look, I had this conversation with my parents and my sister not long ago because it's a generational thing. Like my sister was reading a list on BuzzFeed of like sexist things that women have been conditioned to believe are normal. Right. (laughs) And if we read them, we were going through and it was like, well, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad. And my parents... We're like hearing it said that way, it's bad, but we never would have thought of that as bad if you hadn't just called it out in this specific way. It's really generational and it's really how people are taught. So I'm not saying there's not room for a two guy buddy comedy. There absolutely is, but it's about finding a way to make those two guys people that others can relate to beyond just two other other white guys watching the show. And I think we've seen a lot of attempts at creating buddy comedies that have gone well. I think we've seen a lot that have gone less well. And I think it's about finding a sweet spot. It's about finding the right buddies and the right reason for them to be together and giving them just a more 21st century perspective. How about uh, the other aspect of that was kind of the blue sky positioning, where it seems like so many shows are about uh, shattered lives and people who are just dysfunctional, dysfunctional families, dysfunctional people. Do you think that's the forever or is that just a trend that we're going to come out of that and there's going to be some more blue sky stuff? Oh, well, how do you how do you feel for your own work? Well, I did this dysfunctional family show that I'm working on that's coming out in a couple of weeks. And that was based on, if you remember the show Soap, that was kind of my inspiration there because Soap poked a lot of fun at the dysfunctional family, you know, pointing out how ridiculous that trope is. And I think mine does too. I think that we're in kind of a phase right now. I don't know if it's because of what's gone on in the world in the last few years. I mean, from the recession to now, it's just been a lot of dark television. I think... This pandemic has made people realize that we can't just watch darkness all the time. I think there were a couple movies that came out this past year where I heard reviewers basically say this was a very good film, but I just couldn't handle it right now. And I think we're going to start to emerge and see people trying to push for more blue sky type material, more material that glorifies positive lifestyles and positive behavior and just generally is happier. I think there is going to be a hunger for that when we get out of this situation for sure. 
I'm always wondering if uh, I was uh, waiting for a show to come out that to return from hiatus because of COVID and the comeback. And they're wearing, they're going through what we're going through. They're wearing masks and taking masks off and wearing masks and taking masks off. I was thinking like billions would be a good one for that because it's New York. And, and I'm just wondering, do you think any show will come out and they'll actually portray what we've been going through with the masks? Well, this has actually done a really good job so far. And they've really had the masks. They've had different issues with COVID. They had one, they had a birth episode recently and people couldn't be there for the birth. And they showed the birth, like people talking over FaceTime after the baby was born. And I actually think Billions could wind up being one of the best representations. However, I'm also terrified for Billions coming back because I'm afraid that we're going to see this really, you know, it's been a very glamorous portrait of New York and I'm very afraid for what we're going to see when they come back. So it's a double-edged sword. There will be shows that will show it very well. And then there will be a point where we'll say, oh my God, I can't. This is what I live with every day. I need to escape. I don't need to see the reality anymore. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Victoria Gordon. I'm loving this discussion. You, you really have your act together. And I, I, I say that, you know, very authentically and honestly. Now, you grew up in Beverly Hills. I assume you went to one of the schools there. What was it like and how did you keep your, how, do you, how did you center yourself and be so grounded and be able to develop then in the industry, but doing it in a really smart way where you didn't get caught up in the, in the buzz, if you will? my family. It's hundred percent my family. My mom grew up in Beverly Hills too. My dad grew up in Westwood. So for those who know California, we are true Angelinos. But my grandmother, particularly my grandmother on my mother's side was a product of the great depression. And she had that depression era mentality the rest of her life. I mean, we always did everything we could to find ways to save money, to be creative and reuse things. I never really thought of like wasting as an option. I remember being really shocked when I was like 10 years old. And one of my friends told me that she used her dad's credit card to buy something and her dad never noticed. I mean, that's just not how we lived around here. Like we always, <laughs> not that we needed to, like my parents didn't have to worry, thank God, but they also were very conscientious about money and very protective of what they had earned. And I think that they always raised us to realize that we were fortunate and that even a generation earlier, our family wasn't as fortunate as we were now. So having that and also being willing to give back. My parents were always very charitable in, with their time, especially. And having all that be part of my upbringing made a huge difference. Cabaret, you're a young lady, you sing Broadway tunes. How did that all come about and why Broadway? They're beautiful songs and they're storytelling. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's difficult for some people to really appreciate it because there's so much other music out there. But Broadway tunes really are timeless. They are. And, you know, I grew up listening to that. That's what I grew up with was the Broadway channel on the radio and listening to cast albums. And I just loved it from a young age. So when it came time for me to sing, that's all I wanted to sing. And of course, I went through a phase in my like maybe late teens where people said, well, you got to try other stuff, you know, because you're young. You got to try pop. You got to try country. You got to try rock. And I tried everything and nothing really suited me and my voice and my style the way classical traditional theater did. So I've always loved doing like musical theater songs. And then I decided to do my own cabaret in part because I heard Billy Lord, who is Carrie Fisher's daughter, say something about how her grandmother wanted to know why she wasn't doing a cabaret show. And she said, grandma, nobody my age does that. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, why not? Like, just why not? And um, so thank you, Billy and Debbie Reynolds, may you rest in peace, um, for sort of giving me that kick to realize, no, wait, there's no reason we don't. Like, I can totally do a cabaret show. Do you think, do you need to know the rules to break the rules? I actually do. I'm a rule person. And I think one of my improv instructors said it best. She said, rules are like manners. You learn all your manners. And then once you know what all the manners are, 
you figure out which ones you need in which situation. You know, if you're going out with friends, do you need to have the same manners you have if you got invited to tea at Buckingham Palace? No, but you know all of what you have and you use it accordingly. And for me, that's always been, I'm a just, I like to find out why rules are the rules. So I'll always research how things came to be or why we do it. And then I'll make my own decision based on whether it feels appropriate for the situation or not. But I think knowing rules and understanding why they exist is a really good stepping stone to actually breaking them and doing things your own way. I, I agree with you hundred percent. You know, you ever take a class and there's have, and you have to learn something specific and most of the class goes along with it. And there's always a couple of people who just start freelancing or doubting the teacher right from the beginning. And I'm, I always wonder what happens to those people. Are they Keith Richards, who we just get some music on the antenna coming in, incoming, incoming, or do you really, you know, I'm a plotter. Do you, I, I learn the rules and then I decide which ones to break or how to stretch them. And it sounds like you're very grounded and that's kind of your approach also. Best advice you've ever received since you are from a Hollywood family about the business or life itself? I'm going to tell a little story that's kind of legend in my family. When my dad was like 17 years old, there was a big teacher strike here in LA. It was huge. It shut down the schools for like two months and it threatened my dad's mom. And he's about to graduate and he's like really upset because he feels like he's being pushed out into the world without any of the trappings of graduation, but also any of the guidance that you get on your way out of school. So he's really upset. He's moping around. And my grandfather's outside. He says, hey, Neil, come here. I want to talk to you. And my dad goes outside. He says, okay. He says, I need to give you some really important life advice. And my dad's expecting some big, epic, you know, like secret of life kind of thing. My grandfather says, never buy a cheap hose. My dad says, <laughs> and he says, don't, don't buy one of those cheap hoses that's going to kink up on you. Spend the extra money and buy the good hose and you'll have a good hose for the rest of your life. Never buy a cheap hose. And my dad's like, okay. And he walked off with that and he's like, what the heck's my dad on it? Now, years later, my dad, it's still something that means a lot because the message my grandfather was trying to send was clearly don't take a shortcut now to save something, money, time, whatever, when you're going to just have to take the long road later, work your way all the way through it now. And it's harder. And maybe other people are going to pass you, but eventually you will find your way. And in fact, my dad just had his birthday. And so for his birthday, I um, got him a needle point for his office that awesome. said never buy a cheap hose. And um, oh, I love it. He nearly started crying at his birthday celebration. That wasn't my goal, but it happened. So that's my thing is don't take the easy path. Do what you need to do to get it done right. You know, I love it because I was going to ask you, what would your advice be? It sounds like you took the advice and that's what you would share. So Victoria Gordon, you are uh, you're going to be a star. You already are inside and it's going to come out everywhere. I, I really I really feel that. Tell us uh, where we can find out when pilot season's running, where it's running, what what's next for you, where people can find out more about you. OK, so for pilot season, you're going to want to check our Instagram, which is at TV pilot season. And there we have links to all the info. We have info about the cast. We have a little behind the scenes stuff. And we have, we just get everything you need right there. For me personally, the Victoria Gordon is my Instagram handle, but my website is thevictoriagordon.com. And if you go there, you can catch up with everything that I've ever done, everything that I'm going to do. You can contact me. I always respond. Um, I love talking to people. So feel free and just keep up with what I'm doing that way. Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you so much for being my guest on Guys Guys Radio. I wish yeah. you all success. Victoria Gordon, our special guest today. Thank you. It's Guys Guy Radio. Two terrific interviews with two talented women here on today's Guys Guys Radio. Joanne DiMaggio and Victoria Gordon. What did we learn today? Well, I think from Joanne, we learned that free will plays a big role in how our lives play out. 
Now, some say that everything's predetermined and there's a divine plan in place, and that very well could be. But part of that divine plan comes down to decisions we make each and every day. And we don't know what that plan is necessarily, so we do our best to create our own destiny. In the case of Thomas Jefferson Davis, there was a lot of pressure put on this young fellow at two days old when Edgar Cayce, the famed 20th century psychic, said that there's a possibility that Thomas Jefferson Davis could actually impact the planet in a way that is larger, bigger, more powerful than how Thomas Jefferson impacted the future of the United States. That's a lot for a two-day-old little baby, but also a lot of pressure on somebody going through their life that they have to live up to that, and it came down to a lot of choices, so it didn't work out the way Casey had originally seen it, but he did have that caveat that there had to be decisions made and there was free will involved. So I think we learned that we do control our destinies in our own eyes, by making the decisions we need to make, and we have to be mindful about those decisions each and every day. Okay, Victoria Gordon, what did we learn there? Well, new Hollywood, young Hollywood, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of things going on, and I think the really good news is that there's so many platforms for people to get their content out there, and it doesn't mean that everybody's going to see all the work you pull, pull together, but it does mean that there are avenues to get your work out there. Victoria has pilot season, which is five different shows that she's put on and putting on Twitch. She's a cabaret singer. Uh, she's a writer. She's a director. She's a producer. She's an actor. She does it all. And I think in today's entertainment industry, you really need to be a, a jack of all trades and a master of all also to kind of break through because there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of platforms. There's a lot of content. But the good news is there's an unquenchable thirst for more content. Everybody's looking for a good story. And that's the key word there, story. Everything's about storytelling. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA Radio here in Southern California. 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM at 8 PM Pacific Time. The show rebroadcasts on KCAA on Sundays at 6 PM Pacific Time. The podcast and my YouTube drop on Thursdays. All over the world, so many platforms for the podcast. You can consume it wherever you listen to your podcasts. The YouTube is featuring the interviews only, and the channel is simply Robert Manny, and it's called Guys Guys TV. But to find it, just use my name, Robert Manny. You can also catch me, of course, all over social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, again, and my website. And we're going to be back here next week. And like I always like to say, guys, guys. Finish first.